invite you to take out your Bibles uh, right in front of you. There's those black books. Those are Bibles. Pull one of those out. Page 951 is where we're going to be looking at. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And looking at verses 25 through 32. I'll read. You follow along. So let me know when you, when you get the, the good book out. Are we ready? Some of you have it memorized, I'm sure. So that's fine. That's good. But when we're ready, just kind of look at me with that readiness look. We're good? All right. Always helps to have the page number, doesn't it? Because we can't, uh, sorry, verse 25, chapter 4, verse 25. Thanks for shouting out at me. All right, listen. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption." Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to talk about anger part two this morning. But before we jump in, I want to ask us just to take a moment and to kind of open up our hearts open up our minds in the best way that we know how and just invite the Spirit to teach us this morning. So Jesus, we pause for a moment and we do our best to open ourselves up to you. Things that maybe we're not aware of, things that we need to hear, things that we need to see in ourselves that continue to lie dormant or go unaddressed or we don't know what to do with certain things. And so we're attempting somehow to face the things inside of us that are frightening and scary, but we're not quite sure what to do. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, as you move along and you know us so well that you would be gentle and kind and remember your mercy as you help us become more and more like you. So Holy Spirit, come teach us. Lead us, release us from the things that tie us down, that bind us the poisons inside of us, God, just continue to bring healing to those things. And in that tiny little crack inside the human soul, because that's all it takes, just allow your grace to shine through that and to fill us. It's, for some of us, that's all we got. We just got a crack just a little bit, but that's enough. It's enough for you to get through. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and heal and to teach us and lead us. And I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be first and foremost pleasing to you, my King, my Jesus. And that the words that I speak would be beneficial and it would build up this community. Give me the courage to say the hard things that sometimes I don't want to say and because I'm afraid. But give me the courage to do so. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's do this. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's do this. Oh, gosh. Um, let, me, uh, let me start here. Last, uh, when, I, when I think of Lin Lin and I see the picture of that woman 
up on the screen, one of the questions I ask myself is, does that make me angry? When I see people who are trafficked, defaced, dehumanized, devalued, sold, does that make me angry? And I think, you know, that should make me angry. That should be a driving force in my life that it makes me so angry that I am fierce and that I snort that I want to go after those injustices because I want something to be done about it. Does it make you angry when you see and hear this story that we heard this morning? Does that something rise up inside of you? And that's the question that I asked us last week is, is what makes you angry? Because it's got to be more than traffic. And it's got to be more than um, the Golden State Warriors trading away players that you liked. It's, it's got to be more than Iguodala going to the Miami Heat. It's, it's got to be more than that. There has to be something underneath all of that because our anger is this precious energy that we only get so much of each and every day. And, and how are we expending that energy and how are we releasing that energy into the world? And what are the things that are making us angry? That text in Ephesians, Paul talks a great deal about anger and he goes through and gives us all these different forms of anger. But he says, be angry. So there's an invitation for us. It's a command to be angry that we're reading from the scriptures. But it also says, be careful, don't, don't sin in your anger. So there's, there must be an implication that when we're angry, it opens us up to something else. There's a possibility that it could become something other than what it was intended to be. But the command to be angry is a good command. It's one I can actually get behind, to be angry. I like that. That must mean that if we're being invited to be angry, that suppression or denial or a, a pushing down of anger is actually an unhealthy practice. It's not good. It's not the way that we're called to be and live in the world as human beings. So to suppress it or to deny it or to shove it under the rug, hoping that it'll just go away someday, that's not a healthy practice. And we talked about that last week. We also talked about the anger of Jesus, and I thought more about the anger of Jesus this week, and I asked myself the question, so am I getting angry about the same things that Jesus got angry about? Because I see Jesus getting angry at certain things, but how he used his anger really helps to shape how I need to be using my anger in the world. One story is, is Jesus hears of Lazarus who has died, and, and Jesus arrives at his tomb and it says that he begins to experience emotions. He, he weeps for one. But then it also says that Jesus began to snort with anger. How's that for a description? Have you ever seen anybody snort with anger? Like a snorting that goes on. So Jesus is angry at something. But what is Jesus angry at? And in the text, it, it would appear that Jesus is angry at death. He's standing before a tomb, but he's angry at death because he knows that death um, has had the final word far too long, that it separates us, that it's final, that the idea that death is somehow, that's, that's it, you die and there's no more. And then Jesus goes and he dies, he takes upon death, he faces the cross, but then he rises again and he defeats death so that we no longer have to fear death. Death no longer has its hold or its sting over humanity because Jesus did speak the final word over death by rising from the dead. But Jesus is motivated by his own anger. And then in, in Mark chapter 3, a story we explored last week where Jesus is coming out of a service, a Sabbath gathering where we're praising and worshiping and listening to the text. And he encounters a man who is suffering with a withered hand and has suffered for years and yet, he knows as a, as a good Jew and as a rabbi, there's certain things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath because it's the most holy of days. 
And yet Jesus sees an injustice, human suffering, and, as a, and instead of just following the law, the ritual of the law, Jesus addresses human suffering and heals on the Sabbath. Not concerned about his own reputation, not concerned about what that means or where that puts him in the community or the problem that it would cause him, but instead of all of that, not being motivated by that, Jesus is motivated by the sense that if somebody doesn't do something for this man, then no one will. So instead of thinking how this affects me, the question that Jesus asks himself is, if I don't do this, what does it mean for him? And that's a good motivator to ask ourselves the questions. If I don't step in and do something on behalf of this human, then what does that mean for him or for her? So the question remains for us is, what makes you angry, friends? Is it traffic? Yeah, probably. Is it people? Yeah, probably, if we're honest. But really, kind of the undergirding question is, what's going on underneath it? What makes you angry? And are the things that make you angry the same things that make Jesus angry, that make God angry? The things that we see defacing and devaluing humanity, and when we see an injustice, what do we do about that injustice? Many times the answer to that question, what makes you angry, can be a way to help you identify the sense of mission that lives inside of you while you're here on earth, to do something about that injustice that you see and to move towards it, and using that snorting kind of anger as a fuel to move deeper into the mission in the heart of God. I love that the text in Mark 3 says that Jesus looked around at the religious institution, the religious leaders. He looked at them angrily, and he was also saddened. His heart was saddened because of the hardness of their hearts. So we see this slew of emotions in Jesus where he's angry and yet at the same time sad because of the condition of their hearts, what they've allowed themselves to become and given themselves over to But again, Jesus releases his anger not to tear up people, but to go after an injustice. He uses his anger not to defend himself, but to defend that which is the person who needed to be defended. And he steps in with his anger, not so concerned about himself, but about the person. Many times our anger, if we're honest with ourselves, our anger is used and it's kind of manifest in the world by attacking people. We attack, we go on the attack, but Jesus is not attacking the person, he's attacking the sickness. He's attacking death, he's going after the things that keep people down and enslaved people. So again, the question for us to continue to ask ourselves as a Jesus-following community is what makes you angry, friends? What is it? And have you been able to identify the things that make you angry? Now, I can fully get behind the be angry part, It's the sin not part that I don't want to talk about, but let's talk about it because it's there in the text. Be angry and sin not. So we're going to talk about the sin not part. So welcome to Hillside Covenant Church this morning. We're going to delve into this. We're going to talk about bitterness. We're going to talk about temper and rage and slander and shouting and how our words actually matter and how they affect people. Now, bitterness, when you look at the word bitterness, bitterness kind of in a quickly defined sense is a, it's a settled opposition, a, a settled hatred that you hold against another individual. Like you long to see harm come to them. You long to see them get what you think they deserve. And you hold on to that and it manifests inside of your own heart. So if you find yourself wishing harm on another human There's an indication that maybe bitterness has settled inside of your heart. Now, anger is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to get 
angry. But like I said, it can open us up to all sorts of other things that we have got to be aware of. Now, to think of anger just sitting there is not reality. Anger never just sits there under the rug doing nothing. It has an effect on our bodies, but it never, ever sits there. If you look at verse 31 in the text, it it goes into these different forms of anger, and then Paul begins to talk about these different forms, and he uses words like temper, rage, shouting and slander, and our translation says wrangling, which is like, how many of you use the word wrangling this week? (laughs) I, I like, what is wrangling? We'll talk about wrangling in a moment, but other translations talk about temper and rage, and temper and rage come from the inside. This is stuff that's going on inside of our human bodies, and then shouting and slander are more external actions. Now, have you noticed that when a person, not any of you, but when a person gives themselves over to temper and rage, it can become like a cloak that a person actually wears. And you sense it when you're around people. You'll get around certain people and you're like, man, this person feels angry. There's some, and they may not even be aware of it, but there's a temper inside of them that you can feel just by being in the same room with them. And when we started this journey in Ephesians 4, I had began the journey by throwing this out to you that what fills you up eventually will spill out. So what we do on the inner part of our lives, the things that we pay attention to, the things that we face, they actually matter because eventually that stuff will fill you up and it will spill out. And what is spilling out of you affects those around you in deeply profound ways. And so I think you have a lot of work self-reflection to do on the stuff that's going on inside of you. But what happens when temper and rage get the best of us or they quickly rise up inside of us? Here's what I think happens is that you begin to see people and the world around you through the lens of anger. If you allow temper and rage to fill you up, you will start to see the world through the lens of anger and we will start to lose control. And our temper can quickly become the stuff that that spills out of us. And we've all heard terms like this. When we get around certain people, we say, I have to walk on eggshells around this person. You're familiar with this term. For the reason, like, I don't want to set them off. (laughs) I don't want that, that temper and that rage to come spilling out because it's terrifying when it does. So I feel like I have to kind of walk on eggshells in the presence of this person. That's, that's an anger problem. There's something going on at the root of the person's heart. And when people lose their temper or they give themselves over to rage, they tend to find faults in other people on a regular basis. Have you noticed this? Are you a, are you a fault finder? You don't, please don't raise your hand. But are you a fault finder? Do you, do you find that in your daily practice of life that you tend to find fault in people more than the beauty in a person. You have to ask yourself the question, am I aware of what I'm finding in other people? People who I think give themselves over to temper and rage, I think they also find that they're irritated most of the time. There's like an irritation inside. That means that there's something going on inside that you have to pay careful attention to. Now, in the text, I think Paul gives us three different forms of anger that I would identify this way to sum it up. And we'll spend the remainder of our time with these three different areas and forms of sinful anger. The first one is clamming up. 
The second one is blowing up. And the third one is good old-fashioned bitterness, okay? So clam up, blow up, and bitterness. Now, last week I talked about anger being like a kind of energy that you release, and it's an energy released in order to tear something up. That's kind of like what anger is. It's an energy that gets released, and we go after something to tear it up. So with that in mind, if you keep it inside, let's say you like to suppress or deny, you like to keep it inside and push it way down deep into your bowels. It's tearing something up. Unfortunately, it's tearing you up. It doesn't just sit there, but it works kind of on the inside and it's tearing up your insides. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you feel that. You feel that thing living and breathing and tearing up your insides. That's the physical realm. That's what can happen when we give ourselves over to temper and rage. But then there is what we would call blowing up. So that's clamming up. Blowing up is that which I would say falls into the category of brawling, raging, slandering, and wrangling. Now, wrangling is not a regular part of my vocabulary, but I hear it's one tough customer. With that incense, this is what I've learned about wrangling. Wrangling is engagement in a long, complicated dispute or argument. Does Facebook come to mind to anybody in the room? <laughs> right? Post. Throw yourself out there. This is what I think about impeachment and politics. You get responses from a few people, don't you? And then one post becomes like thousands of posts and you get person after person chiming in, going after it, which I think is just like the worst form of communication and yet we practice it all the time. But it almost seems like wrangling is like, how do we keep people kind of in this pointless discussion, this argument where we're not getting anywhere so we, we do this in communities sometimes. We get into the room and we have these pointless arguments to where we're not getting anywhere and we're angry and we're shouting and we're going after one another and we're tearing each other up and yet the world around us is asking the question, so uh, Jesus followers, what does it mean to live a life like Christ? What, what does it look like to follow Jesus and how do you do that well in community? Do, I mean, do we really want to spend our time sitting in a room wrangling one another? Or do we want to follow in the way of Jesus and deal with the stuff inside, not push it down, not clam up, and not blow up either to where we spend too much time and energy fighting with one another? And instead of tearing up one another, what would it look like to actually tear up the injustices that we see around us and going after that instead? To where we see poverty and we see addiction and we see people caught in these patterns. And instead of extending our energy to tear one another apart, it's like, can we move towards that and actually do something about it? Because we only have so much precious energy in any given day. The question is, is, does that stuff make you angry to the point where you actually want to do something about it? Where you see that injustice and you want to walk in the way of Jesus. Now, in verse 29... Paul uses this language in another translation. He says, don't let foul words come out of your mouth. Don't let foul words come out of your mouth. But in other words, what he's saying is, here's what words and the purpose of words have to do and how they work in a community. Only say that which is helpful, builds people up, and benefits those who are listening. What if we practiced that? Like that was our practice. We at Hillside Covenant Church 
One of our core values is to grow in community. And in order to grow into community, we ask ourselves the question before we say anything about a person or to a person, is it helpful? Will it benefit that person? And will it build them up? You know what I mean? Like, so maybe we could stop having meetings inside the building and then have the follow-up meeting out in the parking lot meeting. You know that meeting? where you're talking about things here and then you move out to the parking lot or you go down to Starbucks and you start talking about other people in that meeting. Is it helpful? Will it benefit the body of Christ? And is it going to build us up? Now, next week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump into how we use our words. We're gonna dig into words because words matter and they have a life to them. They are living and breathing. Even when you say things and the person isn't in the room, it still matters. It still has an energy and a life to it. So the question I want us to ask ourselves, fellow Jesus followers, is, is, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? And is it going to build up that person or that system or this community? What if, what if we practiced that? Like, what if we made it our aim this next year to stop before we said anything and to ask ourselves those questions? Is it helpful? Is it, is it beneficial? Is it building that person up? If not, then maybe I need to step back and pause and not say it. Now, what I've noticed is that when bitterness takes root inside of the human life, it's very difficult to say that which is helpful, beneficial, and building one another up. If you find it hard to do that, check yourself. Check yourself to see if there's a root of bitterness operating inside of your own heart. And here's a couple of questions that I have found super helpful when I want to respond in anger. And two questions that I want us to keep before us, in addition to the other, is it helpful, is it beneficial, is it there to build up, are these questions. What am I defending and what am I attacking? Do you have the courage when something rises up in you and you want to defend yourself to step back and go, well, what exactly am I defending? Generally, it's, it's usually my ego or my pride or my agenda. So I got to step back and I got to pause because I don't want to be a reactive person. So I step back and ask myself, what am I defending? And then secondly, what am I attacking? Like, what am I going after here? Because last week we talked about we're not attacking the person, we're attacking the problem. We're going after the thing. Now, I want to talk about parenting for a moment. I um, agreed, I made an agreement with myself, I would never talk about parenting until my kids were out of the house. Our last one launched. So, I'm going to talk about parenting. And very often, I, I, I think of, of children as rockets. And we as parents get to help launch these into our lives, named Ryan. He didn't come with a manual. So I was like, well, how do I raise this rocket? How do I help this rocket to launch in the world? And one of the things that I've learned in helping to launch rockets is I want to do the work on me so that I'm not also giving them stuff to undo later in life. So I don't want to give my kids all of my issues and then because they have their own issues that they have to deal with in therapy and to undo my issues and their own issues, it's just going to cost more money and take more time. <laughs> so I want to do everything I can to deal with my stuff inside so that I'm not giving it to my kids. Because I, I, I want these rockets to launch. I want them to be light. I want them to move into the world and to be free. So when I think of launching these rockets, I have got to ask myself the questions as a parent. So what am I defending and what am I attacking? Let me give you an example. Um, let's say uh, you as a dad 
have spent the day filling your mind with uh, your precious schedule. And let's, let's talk a little bit about the idolatry of our schedules for a moment. You've filled your mind with your precious schedule. You all know your precious schedule. And it's Saturday, yesterday. The Lakers are playing the Warriors. You've invited your friends over, and you're thinking, all I want to do is at the end of this day, this long week, is I want to sit with my buddies, I want to watch this game, and I don't want to be bothered. I want to have my own space. Now, there's nothing wrong with having space and setting boundaries. But if you've noticed, children can be quite disobedient, these little rockets that are rising up in the world. They have a propensity to be disobedient, and they fight with each other, and they're deceptive at times. And they'll say they're in bed, but you know they're in the hallways running around, trying to sneak around and trying to deceive you and sneak around. And many times what happens is that the father blows up, and they blow up at the child because what we're really attacking is we're actually attacking our own, our defending our own comfort, our own agenda. And do we have the courage to admit that? And so we end up attacking the kid with intimidating gestures or empty threats or we'll start saying, I'm going to take this away from you. And the goal, if we're honest with ourselves, parents, is that sometimes we want our kids to feel as bad as we do. Really underneath it, it's like, I I just want to make sure that you understand you've made me feel bad. I want you to feel as bad as I do. That's called blowing up. And it's a guaranteed way to make our children feel terrible. Now, That mode isn't helpful. There's also the clamming up mode. And the clamming up mode is just as tragic, but you can push it down and deny it and suppress it, and it just simmers inside. And many times what anger does is because it doesn't just sit there, it actually becomes depression. It's like anger turned back inwards towards the human life. So now you find yourself depressed, and your spouse asks you, you seem off, is everything okay? Well... And you say, no, I'm fine. Have you ever said that? I'm fine. It's it's not a big deal. It's just anger. It's sitting there. But we don't want to admit it because good Christian fathers don't get mad, right? So it sits there and it simmers and it becomes depression. And sometimes we'll say, well, I'm just depressed. I, I have all of this anger sitting up inside of me and I've clammed up. And those are not the only two alternatives. They, they can't be. Or we're, we're done. The two alternatives can't be to blow up or to clam up. That can't be the way that Jesus calls us to be. And yet, at the same time, I know that if my child deceives me or if they've given themselves over to lying, I've got to go after that. I I can't allow my child to do that because I want that rocket to launch and be as light as possible. And I don't want those patterns to settle into the way that they do life. Because I know in the future, it just can get more complicated and can ruin their lives if they practice these things now. So I go after the pattern, not the child. I also understand as a parent that parents, I think it's okay for our kids to see us get angry. That it's not a scary thing, but to get angry at the problems, to get angry at the things that are are seeking to tear them apart and take them apart, that they need to see that in us as well. And so as a father, I've got to speak out against those injustices that I see. But I think a good question for all of us to ask ourselves, whether we're parenting or not in relationships, is to step back and ask ourselves the question, what am I defending and what am I attacking? Pause for a moment. Practice. Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? And is it building up people? Because first and foremost, I have to acknowledge my own sense of idolatry operating in my heart that my precious schedule is actually more important than my children sometimes. 
And I've missed the picture that actually my children and my presence in my children's lives and them knowing that I'm, when I'm with them, I'm actually with them and I'm not somewhere else because they know the difference. But when I'm with my child, I'm with my child and present with my child because that indicates to my child that you actually matter. So you have my full undivided attention. But at the same time, I want you to know that my schedule matters too. And kids need to respect our boundaries and they need to know that there's certain things that mom and dad need to do every once in a while. And to disrespect that and disrupt that is actually a bad practice. So creating boundaries is a good thing. But again, what am I defending? What am I attacking? I have to fill my mind, not with the glories of the game and not with my precious schedule, but I have to fill my mind with what really matters here and that is the life of my children. They really truly matter. Many times we lash out at our kids because they're disrupting something, if we're honest. Many times we're protecting our, our own egos because we want them to feel just as bad as we do. I'm only talking about this because I know I've practiced it, right? So I'm speaking from experience. But there are times when I think it's our responsibility to go after things and tear things up because I don't want my kids to operate in deceit. But I also know that there's times when I need to go to my child and I need to apologize to my child for acting in the way that I was acting. Long time ago, my son, five years old, and I was on the couch stewing about something. Shannon comes home from church and I'm just sitting there stewing. My children are in my son's bedroom. He's in there and my daughter, who was I think two or three at the time, is trying to console Ryan, right? Like a two-year-old would do. It's, it's okay, he doesn't really mean it. You know, he's just being mean right now. And I'm just stewing and Shannon could feel it as she walked in. I was like, what, what is going on? Like, what's happening in the house? You feel it. And I was stewing on something because Ryan had done something that made me mad. He, he did something against one of my possessions and it really ticked me off. So I wanted him to suffer. So I'm embarrassing myself right now. But what I did then is I had to step back and go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You kind of wake up in that moment. And so I went in and I, went to Ryan and I apologized for my actions. I said, Dad, is so sorry. I reacted so poorly and I, I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. Sometimes I got it right, sometimes I missed it. But sometimes I think it's important for us to apologize or is it tearing them apart? This is hard stuff. It takes a lot of intentionality and practice. And when you clam up, you've got to be able to admit to the fact that you're angry about something and how it's affecting you inside. But we've gotta go after the problem and not the person. We don't tear the person apart. We tear the problem apart. And what so many of us do in Christianity is we try to just muster up enough willpower. We're like, if I can just get enough willpower, then maybe I can make these things happen. And that's not how this works. Christianity is a different mode. Paul says it's putting on the new self and it's a daily practice. I've got to put on the new self and I've got to get rid of bitterness. I've got to get rid of it because it can turn into something else and it can skew how I see reality around us. And as I grow in the way of Jesus and grow in grace and grow in the character of Christ, what I find happens is that the ego off and the beauty of Christ gets put on. And I become more and more the person that I was created to be. And I would say, friends, the way to counter that is that we've got to spend a great deal of time in worship. And when I say worship, I do not mean music. When I say worship, I mean what are you giving worth to? Worthship. What am I giving the greatest worth to? Where am I spending my time and my energy? Like, what is it that drives me through life? What am I giving the greatest amount of my attention to, my heart to? And are those things there building me up and edifying me? And are they making me become more and more like Christ? Now, notice that Paul says, 
get rid of bitterness. It's very strong language. Very strong language. And the reason why it's strong is because bitterness at its root is holding someone liable for a sin. Bitterness isn't just anger. Bitterness is to continually will or hope for someone else's harm or distress. You think about that. You want that person to get what you think they deserve. You may not say it out loud, but it's a reason why bitterness is wrong. It's because it imprisons you. It's like you take a vial of poison and you drink it and you hope the other person dies. Bitterness is poison. Get rid of it. Put it off. Deal with it. He reminds us at the end, he says, forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. That's like the root. We should be people who practice forgiveness on a daily basis. Again, the questions remain for us, friends. What makes you angry? What is it? And I want you to keep these things before you. Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it building up? Even as you leave here this morning, and then to step back and ask yourself the question, what am I defending? What am I attacking? Paul says, put on the new self. Put it on. It's a daily practice. It's a daily choice. Your words matter. Be very careful how you use them. Okay? Practice, practice, practice. Welcome to practice school. This is what we get to practice this week. We're going to respond with a song. And I invite you to listen. Listen.